0: Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. And I regret to inform you that this week's sermon is not on the Song of Solomon. So, here we are. It's been said at the end of the day, the four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all revolve around one core question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? One famous way to think through that question is to use the model of liar, lunatic, or Lord. This framework has been attributed to several thinkers, but C.S. Lewis is the one who made it most famous. And Lewis said this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, But I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So between now and Thanksgiving, we're going to wrestle with that question. Who is Jesus? Using the gospel of John as our guide. And we will especially home in on Jesus' statements that begin with two words. Truly, truly. So open up to John chapter 1. Feel free to use the Bibles we have here if you didn't bring one and take one of those Bibles home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Uh, thank you for Sunday, what it is and, and what we do and what it means. Uh, Lord, I pray that this would not be just another day, uh, that, that coming to church would not just be another part of the routine, another check off a to-do list, but rather every time we come here, every Sunday that we wake up, we would be reminded of the significance of this day Your day, the Lord's day, uh, the day that Christ rose. And so, Lord, I ask that you be with us as we go through the Gospel of John uh, to answer that question, who is Jesus? Uh, We might think we already know who he is, uh, and I pray that we might be surprised in some good ways as we read this book. And if we don't know who he is, uh, I pray that the Gospel of John would be a great guide to start out. Uh, And, Lord, if we're... Somewhere in between, uh, we kind of know who Jesus is, but, but maybe kind of don't. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would leave this morning and leave the rest of this sermon series with a much clearer understanding of who you are and what it is that you've done for us in your life, in your death, and your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Jesus uses the phrase truly, truly some 25 times throughout the gospel of John. It's one of many features that makes this gospel unique compared to the gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. In the disciplines of biblical studies and theology, the gospel of John is so different from the other three that it gets its own category of study. But that being said, John is in agreement with Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the answer to our core question, who is Jesus? John arrives at the same conclusion as the other gospel writers, he just uses a different path to get there. One author writes that Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a photograph of Jesus, while John gives us an artist's Portrait of Jesus. And the truly, truly statements, passages that are particularly interesting, words that Jesus is drawing specific attention to, are a good place for us to start examining that portrait. So starting in John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. Wait a minute, before we get to who is Jesus, well, who is John? Look back at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, whatever that means, that all might believe through him. John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Okay, pick up where we left off. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Come on, John, we're just trying to do our jobs here. Give us something to work with. Verse 23, John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. John the Baptist is a prophet if there ever was one. He's got all the eccentricities, even down to eating bugs. John the Baptist clearly understands himself to be sent from God to God's people with God's words. And John's core message is really pretty simple. Get ready for what God's about to do. Get ready for what God is about to do. And the way you do that, in John's mind, is that you are baptized for the repentance of sins. Now, John the Baptist knows that he is a supporting actor. He's just setting the stage for the star of the show. John the Baptist is a prophet, but he's not the prophet. And he certainly would not claim to be the Messiah, the anointed savior of Israel. John is just a messenger. But the one coming after him, John's not even worthy to shine his shoes. That guy is the real deal. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. That is quite the claim from John the Baptist. I mean, I know this guy is supposed to be great and all, but the Lamb of God Who takes away the sins of the world? That seems like a bit much, doesn't it? What does it mean for John the Baptist to give Jesus that title? It's likely that John himself didn't fully grasp the significance of those words. Which, as we'll see, is actually quite common in the Gospels. But then verse 34 is even bolder. This is the Son of God. That's bordering on blasphemy. What makes John the Baptist so sure when he stresses twice in these verses that before he did not know him? Well, what makes John the Baptist so sure is what happened at Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit remained on him. Other servants of God throughout history had been temporarily empowered by the Holy Spirit for certain tasks. But on Jesus, the Spirit remains. And somehow, some way, Jesus can give the Spirit to others. Can baptize others in the Spirit. Now, God had said this would happen. And that's all the proof that John needs for now. So who is Jesus? Well, clearly, John the Baptist has some theories. Verse 23, he's preparing the way for who? For the Lord. He calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Son of God. But don't just take John the Baptist's word for it. I mean, come on, the guy eats locusts. What do other people think of Jesus? Verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two men who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So once again, John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. He sold. But Andrew and another disciple of John the Baptist... Likely Philip, want to do a little more investigative work. So they approach Jesus with a more measured title Teacher. Still respectful, but nothing crazy. But it didn't take long for Andrew and Philip to change their vocabulary. Andrew finds Simon and calls Jesus the Messiah. But once again, it's worth asking. Does Andrew fully grasp the significance of those words? Time will tell. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Andrew tells Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. Now Philip finds a man named Nathaniel and describes Jesus as him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. That, too, is pretty high praise, even though you might overlook it. When someone says, hey, I found the guy that the Bible is written about. That's really something. But does Philip truly understand who Jesus is? Well, yes and no. Look at what he tacks on at the end. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of who? The son of Joseph. We'll come back to that. But so far, there have been some pretty wild claims about Jesus just thrown around. John the Baptist calls him Lord, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world and the Son of God. Philip and Andrew start by calling him teacher, but end up calling him Messiah. Him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. If all these things are true and you start to add them up, then the artist's portrait of Jesus in the gospel of John starts to come into focus. And we're only in chapter one. But what about Nathaniel? He's a tougher egg to crack. Maybe he's the one who can cool John the Baptist and Andrew and Philip and Peter's jets. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Nathanael, being the good Jew that he is and knowing the Old Testament well, sees one big problem with all these claims about Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Not just anything great, much less anything messianic or promised by God. Can anything even good come out of Nazareth? Can anything halfway decent Come out of Nazareth. Nazareth was unremarkable. To put it lightly. Some wonder if a sort of village rivalry. Existed between Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's hometown of Bethsaida. Maybe there was a Pawnee-Eagleton dynamic. (laughs) But most of all, Nathaniel's skepticism. May have come from his knowledge of the Old Testament. The prophecy of Micah 5 two, the Messiah, the Christ was supposed to be from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. You'd think John the Baptist, of all people, would know that. But Philip's response to Nathaniel's skepticism. Come and see. Just come and see. And then talk to me. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him. Behold an Israelite indeed. In whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him. How do you know me? Jesus answered him. Before Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Before Nathanael could utter a word, Jesus had him pegged. How could Jesus know who and where Nathanael was? He was a total stranger, or so he thought. And it's not like Jesus found out Nathaniel's whereabouts from his most recent post on Instagram. It's like Jesus could read Nathaniel's mind. So when Nathaniel realizes who he's dealing with, a man who knew him before he met him, a man who found him before Philip called him, Nathaniel buys in to the hype. More specifically, he believes. Nathaniel, the skeptic, the party pooper, the parade rainer honor, joins the choir of John chapter 1. Yeah, Jesus is a teacher. But he's also much more than a teacher. Jesus is the son of God, the king of Israel. You know, these people, John the Baptist, Andrew, Philip, Peter, and and even Nathaniel, they seem awfully quick to believe, don't they? I mean, shouldn't they slow down and do some research? Don't they need to see a bit more out of this guy before they put all their eggs in his basket? They seem like the kind of buyers who might be interested in your oceanfront property in Arizona. I mean, seriously, Nathaniel? You act so tough in verse 46 only to find yourself worshiping in verse 49. How do you know that Jesus didn't just make a lucky guess on a hot day in an area with lots of fig trees? Maybe Jesus had a spy. Maybe Philip was in on the whole thing. How can you believe so quickly? Well, if you don't believe yet... Jesus has more in store. Verse 50. Jesus answered him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him. Truly, truly, I say to you. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending On the Son of Man. So for the first time, we hear it from the horse's mouth. Jesus makes a bold claim about himself. In Genesis 28, we read a story often referred to as Jacob's ladder. Jacob, the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation... Well, Jacob was down on his luck and out on his own, due in large part to his deceitful ways. But Jacob receives a vision from God in a dream, passing the torch of God's promises to his forefathers down to him. And that vision contained angels ascending and descending from heaven. We read in Genesis 28. Verses 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. If you thought John the Baptist... Andrew, Philip, Peter, Nathaniel, all of them were a little too eager in their audacious claims about Jesus. Just consider this. Jesus never rejected any of those titles. Even when the people who used them didn't fully understand the significance of their words. And what's more, by referencing the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28, Jesus seems to be implying that when you stand in his presence, even if you didn't know it at first, you stand with the Lord himself. When you stand next to Jesus, you stand next to the very gate of heaven opened wide. That's because he really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by dying on a cross and rising from the dead. He really is the Messiah who came not just to save Israel, but all who believe in him. He really is him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote in ways the disciples haven't even begun to understand. He really is the Son of God. Much more than he is the son of Joseph. He really is the king of Israel. And then some. So ask yourself. Who is Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? The Gospel of John makes no bones about it. John does not even pretend to be neutral in the matter. At the end of the book, John chapter 20, starting in verse 30, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is not ashamed of his agenda. So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe he is? And if you're still not as convinced as John the Baptist and Andrew and Philip and Peter and Nathaniel or John who wrote the gospel, don't worry. We've got a long way to go. And if you stick around, you will see greater things than what we've read so far today. But as we close, there's one more bold claim about Jesus in John chapter 1. And it starts in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jumping down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. By the way, John the Baptist was older than Jesus. So what do you think it means when he says that Jesus came before him? For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. That's who Jesus is. The eternal, infinite, Co-equal with the Father, life-giving, light-shining, fully God and fully man, glorious and perfect revealer of who God is in the flesh. He is the Lord of the universe, present at and before creation itself. He is the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us, whether you know it or not. So may we, by God's grace, truly truly believe in him and what he did he is no liar he is no lunatic he is lord and it is only by faith in him that we can become children of god let's pray Father, thank you for this day. Thank you again for this time we have together. Thank you for the word that you've given us. Whether it's the book of Joshua we read a few weeks ago, or whether it's the Song of Solomon, which we examined last week, or whether it's the Gospel of John that we open today and for the next couple months. Thank you for your word. All of it plays a role in revealing who you are to us. But, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who really is the, the culmination, the capstone, the cornerstone of your revelation of yourself. We learn about you by looking at the world. We learn about you by reading your word. We learn about you by looking at Jesus. Because when we stand next to Jesus, we stand next to you. So, Lord, I pray that as we continue this study, continue reading the Gospel of John, that we would get a much better, much clearer image of this portrait of Jesus that John paints for us. And I pray that understanding who Jesus is better in our heads would affect our hearts, and it would affect our words and our deeds, and that we would live lives glorifying to you as a result of this knowledge that you have graciously given to us. Lord, again, thank you that we do not worship a liar, we do not worship a lunatic, we worship the Lord, Jesus Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.